and welcome to Lore Watch Roundtable Freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers at Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my marvelous co-hosts with me today. First up, he's a lore writer. He plays warriors, like, a lot, and he would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi, how's it going? Uh, it's going fine. It's good. Everything is good. Everything's Hi, great. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I... If you don't know, I did. I ran a D and D game for the Blizzard Watch people this weekend, and I like running D and D. But every time I run D and D, like I'm like emotionally flattened out the next day. It's like I, it's it's kind of like performance version of doing a marathon because you have to wear a lot of different hats and you have to keep everybody like you know mindful of as many things as possible. And it's great. I enjoy it. I like DMing, but then afterwards, I'm very tired. Like I'm always like oh. high stress environment and yeah. the come down from that i guess yeah so so today i'm basically i'm trying to sound like a guy who does a podcast about lore and world of warcraft it's okay we got a lot of nerdy we got a lot of nerdy things to talk about and i'm sure that will draw you back into nerdy headspace uh also with us of course is our other co-host he's a shaman columnist he's a shaman expert he's also a lore expert and that would be joe perez hey joe How's it well, going? Hi, it's going pretty well. I played in that game yesterday, and it was <laughs> very fun. I am a very small no man who's about to be even tinier because I just leveled up and I took reduce, so I can carry myself around with mage hand. Because ha ha, touch wow, and dirty okay, that sounds like fun. I'm sorry I missed the game. I had other prior commitments that took precedence over things, so. I didn't I'm going to actually... be up front. There were six people there. I was barely, I was like, oh, God. So <laughs> it was a rather large middle. group with six people. Yeah. Yeah. It, there was a lot of people. I, my favorite D&D group size is between four to, to six. Mm-hmm. And that includes me. When when you've got six players and a DM and some of them haven't played that much or that recently, you're kind of like, oh, God. <laughs> That's <laughs> a lot of cats to juggle. Yeah. I'm mixing my metaphors. Oh, well, deal with it. Anyway, so uh, we've got a few different things to talk about this week. As always, we do have some emails to discuss. Uh, if you do have an email for the show, you can send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just put lore watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. Um, we'll be getting to those in a little bit. But first off, 8.2. It's coming out this week. It's coming out on Tuesday. Uh, for people that are listening to the recorded version of this show um, next Monday. Hey, have you been enjoying 8.2? Because it's been out for like a week now. I hope you have. Um, for patrons, hey, couple of days, guys. Get your stuff together because we're about to go to Nazjatar. And also to Mechagon, which brings us to our other point. Uh, Blizzard released a new comic the other day. It was a Mechagon comic and... Boy, was that interesting. Um, it was basically kind of like a little introduction as to what Mechagon is. And we've been over Mechagon a little bit in the past couple of podcasts. We've talked a little bit about what the place is and who the people are and stuff. But the comic kind of hits home in a way that our descriptions can't, by which I mean it is really disturbing. Um, do you guys want to talk about that? You guys read it, correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um I don't I don't really see what you're all disturbed by. Uh King Mechagon's gonna save us all from the curse of flesh and give us all immortality, whether or not we want it. Without us even having to earn it. We're not gonna have yeah. to earn it like his other followers did. I mean and, that's great news. 
And, you know, if it happens to wipe out our brains, I mean, you know, okay. Sometimes you got to break some eggs to make an omelet, and sometimes you got to destroy people's psyches in order to cure them from the curse of flesh so they can be mindless automatons. It's better to be a mindless automaton than dead, right? I mean, sir, he's doing us a favor. I mean, I'm sure they'll figure out some ways that you could, like, eventually re-educate the people. To well, be I mean, they even pointed out, like, he's going to make adjustments. It's gonna be, we're not going to be completely brain dead. We're just going to serve our king. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what I loved about the story, like moving away from this for a second to like like my actual thing is, I love how effing scary gnomes are. Yes, these are gnomes. These are not they're mecha gnomes, but they're still gnomes. The joke race of Azeroth, and they're gonna kill everybody if they're not stopped. I would like it pointed and out that that's... when I said that gnomes were evil and everybody mm-hmm. laughed at me, this comic is my justification. I you know scary quite, evil. You know the thing is is that gnomes, unlike goblins, gnomes are competent. And intelligent. Mm -hmm. Goblins are dumb and inept. They are no threat, and they've never been a threat. They used to be super smart. But they haven't been in a very long time. They They blow themselves up as much as they blow other things up. It's fine. Yeah. But gnomes, when gnomes decide we're going to do something awful, they do it. And they do it well. Mechagon here in this story is competent. Like, the whole bit with when he's he's got the gnome explorer and he's walking him through the city and the, Curvo, he's like, but why is yeah. he, yeah, why is he showing me off? And and uh, I can't remember the prince's name. I'm sorry, I keep blagging on names in this story, but the prince is like, you idiot! He's showing you off to 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 drum up support among the people. He wants them to see how weak and feeble you are. And you can see yeah. that right away too. Like there's yeah. a scene where like he's introducing uh, Curvo to everything to everyone and showing him around, and then like he starts talking about freeing them. And everybody starts cheering because it's this maniacal leader with this idea of of presenting what he wants to do to the world as saving the world that these people have all bought into, whether they're completely, you know, brainwashed at this point or if they still have their wits about them uh, and are buying into this willingly. Like he's a he's a piece. He's nothing more than a theatrical piece. And I thought it was interesting, too, because like in a highly technological city, he's walking him around. You can't tell me that there's not conveyances that they could have taken. And that was calculated to make Curvo yeah. tired, to make him appear weaker. To show him yeah, to show to the, all the mechanical gnomes that don't have you know flesh and blood limbs anymore. Look, this is what I've spared you from. This is what would have happened to you if not. And what's really fun about Mechagon is he's he's such a good callback to Mechazod. Very master, much so. You remember, uh, yeah. Is that callback to that idea of no, no, I've, I'm curing you, I'm saving you. We'll mm-hmm. all be cured of the curse of flesh. And it's just it's really chilling how you know how matter of fact he is. How how he's just like yes. Now sit down and. The best part, too, is at the very end when Corvo, you know, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't read it yet, but that's what we do, right? I mean, this is a, we're going to talk about the story. It's so. been out it's a, couple a couple of days. Page so, hey, guys, if you're on Patreon and you're listening to this today, you might want to duck out and go read the comic real fast. It's going to take you like five minutes. It's not super long. Um, if you're listening to the recorded version, hey, this is a spoiler alert. We're going to talk about the end of this comic. And if you haven't read it yet, go back and do so. It's been out for like, what, a week now? Okay. Spoiler warning in effect. Go ahead, Rossi. Okay. So there's a part where, you know, um, King Mechagon has received Corvo. Corvo has said, you know, your son came and, and told me he was going to get me out of here and send me off to the Alliance to to get people to stop you. And Mechagon's like, oh, 
well, thank you for warning me. And you've earned a reward. And he's very matter of fact about it. And he takes him to this place that's going to purge him of you know, the curse of flesh entirely all in one go. He doesn't need to have mechanical limbs implanted. It's going to just purge his system. And he's like, you know, if this, if you, if you have this, why am I getting it? Why haven't you used it in your followers? He's like, oh, because you've earned it. And it's not until you see the after effects of the process that it destroys his mind. And you know that Mechagon expected it. Like you can tell by the way he, he's like, so the, the process is still flawed. You need to work on this. You need to make improvements. He did that because that guy snitched on his son. Cause now he has to do something about his son. And so he's angry, but he never once shows it. Well, it's, it's really interesting it's it's very vindictive, but it's couched. It's a very cold a, logic kind of yeah. thing. But it but it doesn't really conceal the the malice. It's just it pretends that the malice is reason. It pretends that the viciousness is you know perfectly unemotional and not a, nothing personal. And I totally just meant this to help you. And it's fascinating because you to see a gnome doing this. It's I really do. great. I don't know if I 100% buy into the it's an angry response. I like I was reading this and when I read it, it was I need to test this machine and I'm not going to use my own subjects that are loyal to me to do so. I'm sure that's I'm sure that's a factor in it. But the way he does it, the way he leads him in, the way he doesn't present him with any of the risks, the way he's very like, yes, this is you know, you've earned this. Oh, of course. Like, you're not going to tell them there's, there's risks. He's, he not just that. It's, the, it's not just that he doesn't matter. It's that he has become an annoyance because he, what if he had gone out and gotten people and, but by coming there at this time, sure he can be used to amp up his own people. But at the same time, by finding Mechagon now he's upset everything. Now I have to do it now. I don't have time to do it better. I don't have time to improve it. And you've finally revealed my son as a trade. Like there's so many levels to this. I, I was reading it going, wow, this is there's so many different ways you can read this. I mean, I definitely agree with the 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 son being a traitor accelerating his plans, but it's that last part where it's, you know, his engineer is telling him there appears to be damage, and he goes, Indeed, I want them functional when we free them from the burden of flesh, not brain dead. And the engineer goes, I will make the necessary adjustments. I don't think he knew what it was going to do. Not that's right. the point though. That's my think, point. He didn't but that's know. what I'm saying. Like but he was he a sacrificial bad. He knew it would be bad because he'd never tested it before. You don't. You that's the way gnomes know when you use a new technology. And you've eh, never, I don't know. Gnomes, gnomes thing. Goblins are the ones who just slap on a device they never tested. Here's the before. thing. I After think... I just had a raid boss fight with giant exploding sheep. I don't know. Gnomes seem weird about certain things, man. Just throwing that out there. I think that Curvo went from a showpiece which was arguably what he was at the beginning of this. He was just a showpiece to showcase to the other gnomes. Hey, your king has the right idea about things and your king is doing what's best for you because look at what you would be if he didn't do these things for you. Just to kind of squash any sort of question or rebellion or anything else. He went from that showcase piece to a test subject. And I don't think that there was any emotional component towards I'm going to reward you because you've done a very good thing so much as mm-hmm. I'm going to reward you. And that's what it's going to sound like. But really, you're just a very, very convenient way to test this because all of my other subjects have at least some piece of mechanical stuff already invested in them. 
and I don't have a completely flesh thing to just throw in this thing and do everything instantaneously. Yeah, I'm not sure of that based on other stuff I've seen from Mechagon. I do feel like yeah. that was a it was a good way to highlight just how underneath the surface Mechagon is not sane and stable. No, he and is, what he what is I nuts. But. What I do want to say here is um I've played on a lot of role-playing servers over the years, and one of my favorite characters on these role-playing servers was a gnome that I ran into. And she played her gnome. She did not play her gnome like a typical gnome. Her gnome was pretty twisted and was way into doing flesh experiments and things like that. Like, she was very analytical and very cold and very... I never quite figured out what her purpose was exactly, but she was quite possibly one of the most horrifying role players I had run into just from a, she didn't play the gnome as the joke race. She played the gnome as this thing that was absolutely terrifying. And I feel like Mechagon is like totally something that would be her jam. I don't know if she's still playing or not. I, I, I hope that she is because I think that Mechagon is kind of it's kind of reflective of the sort of thing that she was going for in terms of oh here are all these creatures that we think are jokes wow they are so not jokes it's like the second coming of the Cybermen because that's what this is really oh yeah no that's what we're looking at here Um, and it's kind of terrifying in a way that you don't expect with gnomes and we got like our first taste of this back in Borean Tundra I know Rossi you had mentioned Mechazod we got our first taste of that back in Borean Tundra all the way back in Wrath of the Lich King with Mechazod where he was like yeah I'm going to fix you guys and you saw all these little mecha gnomes running around and they were former gnomes that that he had changed altered and in his mind fixed and I'm putting fixed in air quotes here because Logically speaking, did he fix them? Yes, he returned them to the state from which they had originally come from. But did he really fix them? Because he didn't really account for the years and years and years of evolution and how the gnomes have adjusted to having the curse of flesh and how they've kind of compensated for it and how that's it's just part of who they are now. One of the things that gets me about the concept of fixing them is in many cases, gnomes haven't... These are... They've never been mecha gnomes. These are the children and grandchildren yeah. of gnomes that were mecha. You know, this is like saying, I'm going to revert you to the state your ancestors were. That's not a state they've ever been in. They don't know that state. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily want it. Like, would you want to be reverted back to your ancestry? Like, I don't want to suddenly be five feet tall. Like, my, my ancestors were a lot shorter than me and looked very different than me. I've seen pictures As of that. As someone who's 5'3", I vaguely resent that statement. <laughs> Yeah, but it's also it's somebody true. who's five three. I resent that statement. Nevertheless, I don't want to suddenly have the same trouble you guys have getting tall stuff. Um, Thanks, yeah, but you know what I'm saying, though. You know where I'm going with this. Yes. They, they don't ask. The thing with Mechazod and the thing with Mechagon is they don't ask. He isn't offering this to the world. He just wants to do it, whether or not they want it. And it, he's not even taking into account all the people that aren't under the curse of flesh. What happens to them? Do they die? Do they turn into machine people? What's this thing going to do to say like the entirety of the horde? Turn I don't them think, into like, Cybermen. <laughs> like there's there's a lot of this that's really interesting, and and I I don't I know I don't want to take away from the creepy factor, but I do want to play up the competence factor because that's what really yeah. gets me about this. In, 
is people always want to treat gnomes like a joke. They always want gnomes to be, ha ha, we're going to punt them. This time, the threat to the world that the gnomes pose is pretty significant. This is a big deal. And, These and guys are going to mess stuff up. And that's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't want, personally, I don't want King Mechagon to just be nuts. I want this to be, he's broken, but this is a logical conclusion that he's come to as a result of what he, what has happened to him and what he perceives as a weakness and applying all of that gnome genius to that end. And that's what makes him scary. It's not just like, oh, he's nuts. He's made a dark pact or, you know, his psyche shattered. It's no, he may be, he has, he's on the wrong path. But look how he's getting there. It's methodical. It's this is a logical plan. It's a logical conclusion that he's coming to, and he's going through it by logical means. And I like that better than the mad villain that a lot of our villains have been in the past. So, like, I, I, I like where this is degree, potentially going. Yeah, I think to a degree, what would be interesting to see is how much of Mecha of Mechagon's backstory we get. Like, was he an original Mechanome? Like, was you know, because he was king of the gnomes. Was when he was freed. One assumes that he was one of the gnomes that went to uh, Ulduar, not Ulduar, Ulduman, and eventually got freed and started inserted a Nomergon. When he decided to go look for for Mechagon, did he name himself after the place, or is it named after him? And like, did he go find it? Like, there's a lot, still a lot here we don't really understand or know. And I want to to get that story. I want to know who this guy is and why he's doing what he's doing. Because if he's like Mechazod, Mechazod is neither crazy nor evil. Mechazod was a mechanome and he was operating from first principles. He was disassembled, and when he was put back together, as far as he was concerned, this he treated the infection of the curse of flesh like it had just happened. Because he wouldn't even never have even seen it. Remember, like, Loken put the Curse of Flesh in after, and it infected all the various Titan-forged creations. That would have been after Mechazod was taken apart. So we don't know what Mechagon's perspective on this is, and that's that's going to be fascinating to find out. Like, where does well, he come from on this? Regardless, we will be able to experience all of this in just a very short period of time because 8.2 comes out this Tuesday or... Like I said, if you're listening to the recorded show, came out last week. Go check out all this stuff because uh, we're pretty fascinated. Um, with that, though, I think we're going to go ahead and move on to some emails. Okay, so our first email comes from Easy Target, who's a troll hunter from Oldman, rolling dice in anger since 1980. Call back to D&D, I guess. Uh, let's go ahead and start with that email, though. He says, hello, fantastic sounding watchers. While leveling a Blood Elf Warrior for the Heritage Armor, I noticed what appeared to be a Darnassian ship sunk in Anchorage at a ship slip. Why is it there? Um, and there's two questions here. That's the first one. Where did you see it? They said that they saw it sunk in Anchorage at a ship slip while they were doing the uh, Blood Elf Heritage Armor quest. So they saw it in... But I still don't know where they saw it. I'm going to assume that it was somewhere near the Sunwell or around that okay. area. I mean, first off, Darnassian ships are not that different from some of the Blood Elf ships. Like it's the, Blood the Elf coloring ships, that's are... different. Yeah. And secondly, keep in mind that when they came over, uh, Dathramar and his people were still Night Elves. Yeah. Like they started changing <laughs> as they got further and further away from Kalimdor. It wasn't um, it was a, hey, we've reaction. passed over where the maelstrom is, all of a sudden we're blonde. <laughs> yeah. 
they they had taken they took night elf ships and they used night elf crews and they were themselves night elves and it wasn't until they got the sunwell in play that they really started to change like there's a time period when dathramar was not just a night elf he was a highborn and you've seen like what the highborn look like there's highborn now like there's actual highborn mm-hmm. still around you can go see them they look just like night elves the mages yeah um they're the ones from um Eldrathos, the the dire mall ones they they look just like night elves there's no noticeable difference it's not they don't even look as changed as the nightborn do because again the nightborn had access to something that was kind of like a the, the sunwell was one thing the nightwell was another thing that's why the night the blood elves and the the, the nightborn changed because they had access to this arcane font that was different and new and it altered them uh night elves are not like eevee if you know about Pokemon, you know how Eevee, <laughs> you know, evolves differently depending on being exposed to different stimuli. That's what that's what elves are like in World of Warcraft. Actually, I guess you could say trolls are like that. I was gonna say because it was like, the dark trolls. trolls. Are, yeah, yeah. The because the, the night elves all come from dark trolls, and so dark trolls. Maybe it's dark trolls, or maybe it's just trolls. And we only because you got blood trolls, they got changed by being exposed to weird magic. That's actually happened to trolls twice. And look at forest trolls versus jungle trolls versus uh, desert trolls versus kind of products of their environment. Yeah, so you've got that. So I guess the trolls are like Eevee, but then like if you take if you take the night evolution of troll and then expose it to arcane, you can cause it to then evolve in a different radiated way too. So you've actually got double evolution going on there. Basically. Night elves, elves are, are a mega evolution of dark trolls. Anyway. <laughs> Welcome to this show doing that. And the thing is, is I don't even Explain play Explain elves, but Pokemon. <laughs> but actually, it, it if you're familiar with Pokemon, this does make sense. Like this whole thing totally makes sense. If you're not, I am so sorry for what we just did, but that's okay. Uh, so what Rossi's saying basically is that the reason there's night elf ships there is because they all originally came over on night elf ships. Pretty much. I mean, also, y'all have to look at the fact that um, depending on where these ships are located, first off, it could be just the original ships that came over when they mm-hmm. passed over. I haven't... I, I feel like I should point out I haven't done the Blood Elf Heritage Armor Quest yet, and I need to, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. So that would be why I'm like a little hesitant as to where you're seeing this wreckage. If it was on the shores where they originally arrived, which I'm assuming that might be the case because we are dealing with heritage armor here, that's your explanation. If you saw it around the Sunwell area, there were a lot of um, night elf ships that showed up when everything was going down with the Sunwell in Burning Crusade. So you could be seeing wrecks from that. Also... During the, if you level as a new night elf, there is a group of night elf spies that are spying on the blood elves. Yeah, it could be those spy ships too. Yeah, so they they could actually also have ships. So there's there's a variety of different ways this could work out. I guess the point being here is don't assume that the night elves and the blood elves are at war because that's not the case. It's just night elf being a night elf is part of their heritage so yeah there's probably going to be darnassian stuff sitting around here and there 
Um, it's part of who they are. It's part of where they came from. Uh, Easy Target has a second question here too, and it kind of ties into what we were just talking about, actually. Uh, he says, could the Arkandor fruit be used to heal the wretched like it did the withered, or are wretched just a symptom of leveling content, not matching lore? Is there no need for such with Sunwell, with, uh, Sunwell MK2? Um, so, go ahead, Joe. Uh, the wretched and the... Uh... Uh, what you call it? Withered. The they're withered. not. They're not the same. They're opposite ends of the spectrum. The withered are what happen when they don't get the nourishment from the arcane font that they need. They're basically that's why they're called withered. They're husks of their former selves. The wretched is what happens when you overindulge and become devoured by the magic obsession that you're consuming. So, like, I don't think that the Arkandor would fix them because it's not replacing. Uh, something that they don't have because they got there by having too much of that to begin with. It's I think that... they have something different would have to be done. Yeah, it's that, and there's also very distinct biological differences between the Blood Elves and the Nightborn. The Nightborn are dependent on the Nightwell. It's not. It's not like the Sunwell. The Sunwell was a source of magic for the Blood Elves, and when it was destroyed, they dealt with magical withdrawal is mm -hmm. what it was it, they didn't have that exposure to those arcane energies that they'd just been chilling around they'd been stewing in for thousands of years the nightborn on the other hand were sealed away from the rest of the world behind a bubble they had very limited resources and there was a point where they no longer really had enough food and sustenance and supplies and things for everybody that lived in the city <laughs> They used the night well. They started using the night well as a source of nourishment. It was basically their food. Arquine was a thing that they used. Arquine was a thing that they ate. It was what kept them alive. It was basically their diet. So the withered are starving. They're starving to death. They have no access to the night well. They have no access to that thing that they've become physically dependent on. They could go eat a sandwich, but it wouldn't do anything for them. It's just the night well that does the things for them because, thousands, again, thousands of years, biological changes happened there. So it's not just... Uh, and you do have a good point, Joe, because that there is like a very basic and distinct difference to these two in how they came to be. But there's also that biological difference to consider yeah. as well. Also, there's another complication in all this, however. Go for it. Um, wretched can happen in a variety of different ways. There are the wretched that you mentioned before, the ones that have just overindulged in their magic addiction. There's also the wretched that have been consuming fell power. Yep. They're a different kind of wretched. Um, they're, they're like on the way to becoming fell blood. Yeah. Uh, if you draw enough fell magic, it starts to corrupt and change you. That's where the green eyes for a while, all blood elves had the first stages of that transformation. And you yeah, saw a eyes. lot of that in the Sunwell raid. There were yeah. actually elves that had just kind of embraced it. Those were the ones that looked really funky. Yeah. Well, don't and... they even say that those ones were the ones that consumed too much fell? Well, the, there isn't, like, there's the fell blood, which are the ones who consume so much fell that they literally turn into the wretched that way. Mm -hmm. And then there's the actual fell blooded that are, like, demons. Like, there's actual, like, blood elves that start growing red skin and horns and wings. 
Yeah, well, that's, that's a, sort of that's just like the Eridar, right? It's actually very similar to what happens to demon hunters. Um, if elves consume enough demonic essence or flesh, they start turning into demonic creatures. Illidan is another example of this. There are there are both blood elves and high elves that have started to have that happen to them. Then there's the Quelthalon Lodge incident. Um, you guys remember Quelthalon Lodge? That was the uh, Lodge or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 The, the high elf one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was yeah. a high elf. Um, it was basically a high elf base that was like, you know, one of their last refuges after the most of their people turned into blood elves. Um, they dug up some kind of artifact and developed delivered it there. And when it was delivered there, it transformed all the high elves there into wretched through some unknown means. And it did. We don't know exactly it's how like it mana did. Like radiation it. or something. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what so, I took it as. So there's there's lots of different stuff. Like I mean, I think that the 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 nightborn use of the of the sunwell and of the nightwell to to provide them in their food and so forth was was a case of them. It's another variation on the idea of mana dependency. It's taking it to an entirely new level, because we know conjuring food is something any wizard can do. And like that's something we've seen. If you play a mage in World of Warcraft, you can make food out of magic. You do it all the time. Hey, anyone want some mana muffins? Yeah, I got some. Yeah, I got some mana biscuits for everybody. That was just them doing it on a, like an industrial level. They were doing it for everybody in the city. That's where your everyone's food was. That, and over time they became dependent on it. The Arcanador, which to tie it back to the original part of the question, the Arcanador also meets that need. When when a, a nightborn who is turning into withered gets to eat from the fruit of the Arcanador, it doesn't just meet the need once; it permanently meets the need. They can now just eat normal food. They're cured effectively of the nightwell. They can just go have a sandwich after that yeah. point. Yeah, and that's because it stabilizes what was there. Just there wasn't enough magic for everybody with the nightwell. It was dealing with so many people. They needed a single-use solution. The Arcanador is that. Does that mean the Arcanador would help the Wretched? That's an interesting question because the, as both both Joe and, and uh, Anne have pointed out, the, the Wretched aren't starving. They're junkies. Mm-hmm. They're effectively like, you know, if when they come slathering after your magic, it's because they're literally try- they're trying to like rip it out of you. It's not to sustain them. It's not to feed them. It's just to stave off the, the addiction. They're two unrelated things, but that doesn't mean the Arcanador might not be able to help because the Arcanador fruit might, if a withered, you know, a withered eats it, it, it pure permanently fixes that need. It might do that for a wretched. Now they wouldn't be addicted anymore. Once you get rid of the addiction, then being a wretched doesn't matter. Well, I guess wretched, my question on that though, is if, if, the addiction resulted in the overdosing, which is essentially what it is. Like everything that we've seen described, the quests, all the stories. Yeah, absolutely. Everything. I'm not, I'm not arguing. Yeah. That. But I mean, it, that's, and that's what I mean. Like, it's kind of, it, that's why I'm like, I don't know if the Arkandor can level that out. If what's there is already decayed. If a bird goes cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and you give <laughs> the bird Cocoa Puffs, is that need for Cocoa Puffs? satisfied or are they still cuckoo for it i guess is the question we're looking at here we need another evie metaphor i know that, that's right a, that's how we... <laughs> i'm like let's just jump to cereal <laughs> I, honestly like i said i'm not saying that it would work i'm saying that it there's it would be interesting to see them do to de- develops a story about 
maybe some some enterprising nightborn is like yeah let's try this and then you know maybe it doesn't work and it's in fact it's like handing like hey hey you're, you're oh you're it could be even worse oh yeah, you're addicted to magic here have some pure like super magic <laughs> and then they go they turn into like a mega wretched and now you've got like oh god that was a mistake let's not do that again but do you know what i mean like you know how the trolls can bulk up into those berserker trolls yes i was just Imagine thinking an that. elf turning into like some berserker yeah. elf like giant bulky elf all juiced oh, up you know in a door that that's actually pretty that, that's not too far from unlikely because they do come from that same troll stock right yeah that is an evolutionary trail that they could potentially follow so i think it would be interesting to see them deal with it in the story i don't know that the arcanador fruit could help them but you could imagine at least one nightborn being like hey um my my new blood elf friend have you thought about trying this and then they like yeah we could cure all the wretched and then it turns out oh no oh no oh no we shouldn't have done that oh god no but, why did or, we give him the mojo yeah <laughs> yeah okay yeah, well interesting thank you for the uh questions there easy target we're going to move on to the next question here this is from Cressetia, who's from the argent dawn eu who says hey watchers in the crucible of storms raid we get to hear nazoth whisper sweet nothings into our characters ears one of the whispers i noted recently said the fall of night reveals her true face she will bring only ruin any idea who he's talking about here? Sylvanas, Ashara, Taronda, Azeroth. Would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for always putting on a great show, Cressetia. That's a very good question. And I'm just going to let you guys run with it. I'm just glad it's not saying your friends will explode, your heart will abandon you. No, your friends Sorry, will that's, abandon that, you, your you know, heart will... No, yeah, anyway. The problem with... I ran AQ, when I ran AQ40 back in the day, my wife and I were in the same room. And your whispers are different. She so she would often get your heart will explode right around the time I was getting your friends will abandon you. So it sounded like he was saying your friends will explode, and we were we, that became a joke. I'm sorry. Now I I've explained that it too much. Once one time I made fortune cookies, and all of my fortunes were whispers from Cthulhu. <laughs> so like you yeah. opened the fortune cookie, and it said your heart will explode. Anyway, uh, moving As on though, this, let's let's let's, let's mean, go to the actual question here. The fall of night reveals yeah. her true face. She will bring only ruin. Taranda is actually not a bad option here. Yeah. No, it really isn't. It's interesting that Taranda has basically turned her back on like the past ten thousand years of not wanting to be like Ashara to grab a power that she knew was ridiculously dangerous. And granted, the horde left her no options. It took like, her a lot to get invaded. there, yeah. but she got there. Yeah, the, the horde left her literally no options. Um, the you know, I, this is one of those things. That, it makes it really hard to talk about the story because it's like, on the one hand, yeah, it was probably a mistake, but on the other hand, it's not a mistake that you can really criticize because what could she possibly have done? The only only other option was to do nothing at this point, and that wasn't going to work. So, but yeah, I do I do wonder what, what? the night warrior is gonna. What if it's not the Night Warrior? What if it's Aloon? Ooh. Like, Aloon's this... Aloon is we know a super. Well, Aloon, Aloon has given the power to the Night Warrior, right? Oh, no. Aloon is the Night Warrior. The Night Warrior is... Aloon has apparently at least three facets. There's sure. the, 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 the Bright Lady, the, the Night Warrior, and the, the, the Blue Child. These are all considered to be aspects of Aloon. Right, but so, what I'm saying but, is we're sort of entering this... I hate to say it like this, but like a dark phase for a loon right now 
where you know the whole thing of of Tehran becoming the night warrior there was an eclipse there was this eternal night that fell everywhere and i keep going back to that lovely little scenario in the end times where everything was darkness what if it's not Tehran? what if it's a loon going to that dark phase that brings ruin because we know that they don't lie right like Nazoth doesn't need to lie. He just tells you everything because everything is true, essentially. Yeah. Well, which th- that ultimately means, though, that they do lie. They just don't lie by saying things that are false. They lie by omitting things. Sure. And they, but, they absolutely do lie. That's not they lie the by idea that they're completely a potential honest. or a possibility that isn't actually in existence. Or they give you enough information to infer your own falsehood. <laughs> yeah, the, the, it's basically the idea of, you know, give them enough rope to hang themselves. That's that's what the, the you know, guys like Nazoth are. They're all mm-hmm. about giving you enough rope to hang yourself. And, but that's what I'm wondering if, like, this is referring to Elune because of that. Is there a reason that the old gods would be afraid of that? Is there a reason that that would be a potential obstruction? Is there a reason that an old god like Nazoth would want to sow that sort of distrust in that all-powerful being? And I mean, I think that's pretty accurate that they would want to because these are all roadblocks. These are all things that prevent him from or it from their final goal, right? Like Nazoth has a goal. We don't know what the ultimate goal is besides controlling Azeroth, or maybe that's not even it anymore. But well, I, I mean, I, this there's like a lot to think about here in terms of like one of the things that I wanted to point out for a while, and I can never figure out where to point it out is for beings that mock the Titans and say that they're not all that powerful, they use Titan artifacts a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shara goes and gets the Tidestone. The Tidestone is a Titan artifact. It's one of the pillars of creation. Um, and yet she goes and gets it to, to, you know, act, to enact her will. There's stuff going on here. Elune is one of the ones that has really been like from the beginning, we don't know what she is. We know that she made one of the pillars of creation, but we don't know. Like she's not, a, she does not appear to be a Titan. She's and not in theory. She made the Naru. Yeah. But huh? Why? When, and what does that mean? If she made the Naru, what did she make them out of? And the Naru, like, and again, like we know that they have a dark cycle and we know that they can fall to that darkness. Is that a reflection of a loon? Is is that something that they have it because Elune has it? Like right about now, is Velen like sitting in in the Exodar going, "Why didn't she listen? I tried to tell her how similar they were, and she wouldn't listen to me. She was very polite about it, but no. Now look what happened. She's, she's done this. I'm, now I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go out there and like you know put my staff on the ground and blast light into things and die, aren't I? Great. It's like seriously, every time I think of this, I think of the end of Shadow Moon. Mm-hmm. You know, warlords like that. Now that you're might... making me worry about Velen's mortality, and I don't want to be worrying about Velen's mortality because I, I really I, like Velen. I like you know Velen's one of my favorite characters, but I like I've been looking at stuff that's been happening the past two expansions, and sometimes I feel like we were too harsh on warlords. Um, I think not so that it too, didn't have its flaws, bit. not that it didn't have its flaws, but I think a lot of the story in warlords, a lot of that alternate timeline was meant to show us things that could happen possibilities yeah and one of them is the fact that velen might very well someday be moved to make the ultimate sacrifice perfectly capable of sacrificing himself in in an hour where he needs to he doesn't even hesitate he just does it yeah and there's that moment with urel who lord i want for back but uh, there's that moment with urel where he puts the mark on her and then he 
turns himself in a pure light and purifies the dark star. And the dark star is to like, think about the dark stars role in shadow moon. It floated up in the sky over shadow moon, keeping it permanently night. Mm-hmm. Shadow moon was eternally night because of the presence of the dark star. Now suddenly dark shore is permanently night because Elune has moved herself in front of the sun mm-hmm. and is making the place permanently night. There's a lot of, it reminds me very much of shadow moon in warlords. It reminds me very much of that moment. And this is something that's not what, when, when Tyrande set out to become the, 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 the night warrior, she was going to do that to herself, but nothing in the, in the story said anything about the entire place turning into nighttime forever. No, you know, that wasn't mentioned. And for what we knew of the night warrior was usually it killed people who tried to do it. They died. Um, even, you know, Maya of shadow song, who is not what I would call a shy retiring type. When she heard that the Toronto was going to do this was like, we got to stop her right now that she going to, she going to die. And this is such a bad idea. Yeah. And, and again, Maya does not exactly hold Taranda in like the, the highest esteem. So when she was like, Oh, she's going to die. You get the sense that she's like, and she's going to take a lot of us with her. And maybe she still is, or maybe it's like Joe's idea about Elune. That's certainly something to consider. But I, I do wonder if maybe the Azeroth thing is also worth considering because Elune and Azeroth have a very weird connection. Elune's very involved in the Emerald Dream. Like Elune's relationship with Ysera, who was the steward of the dream. Elune's relationship, you know, there's Eonar and Eonar's relationship with Freya, who created the Emerald Dream. She's like a motherly figure almost. Yeah, and Loon, who who is Elune's son? Cenarius. Cenarius is the son of Malorn and Elune. And Cenarius is huge in the Emerald Dream. He's a big part of it. There's like all this, and the Emerald Dream is itself in, inextricably connected to Azeroth. It's that's why that when the old gods find their way in there, they were able to create the nightmare and corrupt. You know, they were they were able to pose such a threat because it's so much a part of Azeroth. There's elements to this, like the I think you can see. Uh, I, I'm thinking about something involving Ashara here too but I want to let you guys talk a bit. So I'm going to sit back and think about it and you guys talk. I'm actually kind of curious and I want to float this by you because I don't think that we've ever had it like officially confirmed or denied either way. Do you guys think that the Titans were aware of Elune's existence? I think they'd have to be. Do you think like, they understood what Elune was where we don't? That I'm not sure of. And, 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 and I think that's an interesting point. Like, I think they knew that Elune existed. And the reason I think that is because there's no way that they could rip a hole in a planet and do all that other stuff and have this sort of entity, you know, rise and fall from this. Like if you're, if you're to believe the stories of the trolls and and everything else and they're knowing that something is there having interactions with it, but knowing what it truly is are are two separate things. So I think that maybe they didn't know what, what a loon is. Okay, moving one step forward from that, Azeroth's world soul has been touted as being the most powerful world soul they had ever seen, right? Mm -hmm. Do we think that that is because of the presence of Elun, or that maybe Elun was drawn to the planet because of that? Or Elun is part of the planet? What if Elune is part of that abundance of spirit? Elune is not a thing on any of the other worlds that we've been on. Mm -hmm. Just not a thing. Well. Go for it, Rossi. The world, 
the world Aonar is hiding on is named Elunaria. Yep. Yeah. And Elun and Aonar might have a connection, therefore. See, here's the thing. I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been thinking about it in terms of what Sargeras wanted when he came to Azeroth. He wanted to either destroy or convert Azeroth to his way of thinking. Because that's what he wanted to do with every Titan he ran across. He wanted to he destroy them if he had to, but he wanted to make them agree with him. He wanted his own pantheon, one that agreed with him. And when he was told he that there a was... Fell Titan. Yeah. When he was told that there was a world that was going to be even greater than him, he would destroy it if he had to, because he was, he was a little afraid of it. But it was also that desire that's mentioned in the Scepter of Sargeras. There's that, that want of bringing it along. Because he was lonely, and because he wanted he wanted to convince everyone that he was right to do what he did. But as Shara's ego is too great to accept that anyone is greater than her. Mm -hmm. She saw Sargeras as a suitable bridegroom. A consort. Yeah. He was good enough to be her boyfriend. The idea that he might secretly want the planet. Like she, when, when, when Ashara became monarch, the first thing she did was, Name the city that was named after her god, after herself. Well, she didn't do it. The people, supposed yeah, but the, quote unquote, the people did the it. People spun- did it. But the people did it because they knew that she would like it. Uh huh. And she, of course, did because she had influence. And more importantly, she saw Elune as not a rival to her. Elune was insufficient to be a rival to her. Ashara saw herself as more important and more powerful than Elune. So is this just a weird love triangle where like Sargeras, Elune, and uh, Ashar are just trying to slide well, into see, each other's DMs? Or... I, I, don't think, I don't think it's Elune that Ashar would see as a rival. I think it's Azeroth. Mm-hmm. The world soul, the, the spirit of Azeroth, Ashar is very involved in what Nizoth is attempting to do to it. That's true, because what did Sargeras tell her that he would do? He said he would remake the world in her image. Yes. And and she was down with that. What does that mean? Does that mean that you know he would just make the planet look the way she thinks it should? Or does it mean he was going to fuse her and the world soul together? It's an infant Ooh. world soul. It's, it, doesn't have, it doesn't have adult That's cohesion. a terrifying thought. Yeah, if you take Ashara and you make the world soul and her be the same being you've now given it a personality you've now made it like she it could now be sargeras's consort in physical truth like that's just and you know that ashara is still involved in nizoth's plan to corrupt azeroth she even says so at the end of the raid when you're confronting her she you know upbraids people for like having the whole heart of azeroth deal like yeah you've done exactly what we wanted it's like she's eliminating a rival or supplanting her yeah, because we're bringing as we're bringing the heart of Azeroth suffused with Azeroth's power to to Ashara. We're bringing it right in. And to go back to something I said several weeks ago, even if we're not bringing it to her like in that capacity, we're not putting the power of the Azerite back into the planet. We're carrying it around with us. We're carrying around like a powerful bomb type thing that's not Look at being my fed cool, back into shiny, the planet. Flashy blood yeah. trinket. So by by that extension, we're, I mean, I don't think, and I, I posited this before, I don't think we're fixing Azeroth. I think we're just aiding and making it weaker. Well, think of it this way, though. That thing isn't independent 
The heart of Azeroth is the heart of Azeroth. When Mother sees it, she immediately comes up with a way to enhance it using draconic aspects. The draconic aspects that the Titans used on the dragons. That thing is Azeroth in your hand. I don't. Maybe the danger isn't that you're weakening Azeroth. It's that you have literally pulled all the stuff that makes Azeroth what it is away from that safety of the core of the world, and you're just carrying it around. Instead of pulling a chunk of old god out of the planet, we're pulling the world soul out of the planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And think about what that would mean, because there'd be nothing in the planet to resist the old gods anymore. I'm getting some really serious Final Fantasy VII Mako vibes from all of this. That's actually... That's one of the reasons yeah. we, the only one we haven't talked about here is whether I was talking about Sylvanas. And that's because I think we're too quick to assume it means Sylvanas. Like, I don't think Sylvanas don't has think been hiding her true face. Yeah. And I don't think it's been talking about Sylvanas at all. No, because I don't think Sylvanas's true face was revealed quite some time ago. I think we, at this point, the beginning, well before the fall of night, if we're talking about the events in Darkshore, Sylvanas had already, you know, shown her whole bleep. To, to use a slightly crude version, uh, she just straight up said, this is what I am, and I am not. Although there, I honestly do feel like the exposure to Azerite had an, it was like an epiphany to Sylvanas. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely it gives given everyone her... ideas on, yeah, on like think... a big, big, big scale. I definitely think that it had that effect. What's interesting is nobody has talked about whether or not it's had that effect on Anduin. Okay. And that, we're, we're getting further and further away from the actual question here, but think no, about but that. No, but this is good. Keep going. <laughs> Anduin got a piece of that stuff handed to him, and he touched it and held it and felt it. And since then, look at how he, you know, Anduin Rin put on a suit of armor, went to Undercity by him, you know, with his army, led it from the front, and directly engaged in combat. The same guy that once went into a room with Garrosh Helltream and tried to talk him down. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that there he didn't have pressing reasons to do it. I'm not saying it doesn't make sense that at this point in time he would be done with Sylvanas's beep. Uh, but you're wondering if that influences decision-making process. If why is of all people why did Anduin go himself when he is not the fo- the warrior his father was? And when he just Although, saw what happened to his dad. Yeah, and and to to be fair, he does better in that cinematic than he has any right to. Um, he turns one guy into chum. He just smashes that guy until like until he is like a bleeding pile of stuff on the ground. And then he um, goes off super nuclear light infused yeah. dude. Yeah. He, so both of those things happen. I mean, I'm not sure how how cinematic how we're supposed to take the cinematic. And and he does engage in in dialogue with with Sarfang. He does talk to him several times, but it. it it feels like I'm. I don't want to say uncharacteristic because in neither case of the is the behavior uncharacteristic, but it's exaggerated. It feels and like we, we do have kind so- of see that transitional shift in um, before the storm too. Yeah, I, it feels like Anduin goes with a hail mary. You know, we can all get along. This is the most grandiose plan I could possibly come up with. My own people don't even like this plan, and I'm gonna I'm gonna force it through. And Sylvanas goes to like the Machiavellian of Machiavellian extents to sabotage it. Like she lets it happen and deliberately, you know, it, she's already planning ways to scuttle this. And when, um, Oh bloody heck, uh, Kalia, when Kalia Menethil shows up, it's like a dream for Sylvanas. She's like, Oh, I can kill you. And 
the people that are trying to head over to the, Oh, thank you. I was wondering how I was going to do this. I'm so happy you're here. Like, you know, Oh, and by the way, I do really hate you and your family for what they did to me, but, but also I kind of love you because now you've, you've made these people openly betray me in, in front of everybody. So I can kill them right in front of the Alliance. And there's absolutely nothing they can do if they don't want a war, which I want. So if they decide they want a war, we can have that war now, or we can have it in a couple months when I, when I'm ready to have it, I don't care. So it's, it is interesting. Like it, it does feel like the, the Azerite is amplifying their personal traits. And that makes me wonder, is that because there's no personality in the world to, to guide this? Like, is you take the Azerite out of the world, it's no longer part of Azeroth. Does that mean that it, it amplifies whoever? What does is Azeroth naturally amplified by our own blood that way? That's an what? interesting thought process because if you even if you go back to the elemental lords, right? Unlike any other planet that has sort of like even even Draenor, right? Like they have elementals, and we know that for sure, but they're nothing compared to what our elemental the elemental generals like the four big nasties had distinct personalities they had you know they were they were for lack of a better term complete beings on draenor they were a construct that were created uh by a titan and on azeroth they're just there so the like i think rossi's in on like an interesting point like if azeroth itself doesn't have that personality anymore because that personality has been drawn out or put elsewhere i.e elementals i.e what happens with the blood of Azeroth being or Azeroth being pulled out and and as a result enhancing other people's personality traits or you know maybe it's because there was a giant sword stuck into it who knows that's interesting that's interesting if like essentially Azeroth has turned into blank slight titan well think about this too chronicle points out that one of the reasons that the elementals on Draenor got along better than the ones on Azeroth was because the natural spiritual energy of the planet was just out there. It was balanced. Existing on Draenor. It was balanced because nothing was drawing on it. They just all the, all the elementals lived in it and there was plenty for them There was them no all. world soul. Yeah, but the world soul inside Azeroth is so huge and powerful that it drew a tremendous amount of spirit energy down into itself and the elementals were left to fight amongst each other for the scraps. And that's why they became so bellicose with each other and so like they have, they all eventually like survival of the fittest meant that the most powerful among them would be elevated to like a top position and lead them in their eternal conflict across the surface of the planet. Um, and you know, Diablo three is one of my favorite games, guys. And no, <laughs> I, just, I use the word eternal conflict. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I find myself wondering if that, it, what does it mean to be absorbing all that spiritual energy for countless, countless eons and then to be separated from it, to be wounded in such a way that you're not, you know, it's, it's leaving you. It's not going in down into you. You're not drawing it. Instead, you're, you're like bleeding it out into the world. Is that what Azerite is? Is it that spiritual energy that, that Azeroth can't hold on to anymore? And that's one of the reasons that, you know, mother is like, the, the world's going to die. We need to do something right now or this planet's going to die because it is literally leaking out the power that it should, that it was drawing into itself to fuel its larval stage for lack of a better word. And, and now we're getting hit by it, but it's the spiritual energy 
it's so much more concentrated than what would be like on Draenor, the spiritual energy would just be out and everybody would be experiencing it. And Draenor itself, what was one of the, the things we keep getting told about Draenor that it's a savage world yeah. of conflict and the living beings exposed to the spirit energy, like the elements might be in harm in harmony, but the living things aren't look at what happened with the plant life on that planet. Plant it life went, went nuts. Bonzo. Yeah. A Titan had to show up and make an elemental Titan monster to try and hold it off because it was going to devour the whole world. And then what was going to happen when it was done devouring the whole world? It was going to die. So untrammeled absorption of that kind of energy. Now we see it just exploding out everywhere on Azeroth. Maybe it's it just needed some fruit from the Arkandor. <laughs> <laughs> we can just give Azeroth Plant a for Arkandors. <laughs> yeah. But think about this though like what if that's what azeroth is literally bleeding out what might be the spirit energy that it needs to survive and we're not capable of dealing with this sylvanas gets her hands on a little and she goes like full full on evil genius uh anduin gets his hands on a little and he starts like trying to like fix every problem at once he wants to make the world like this perfect place of harmony and, and peace and he he's completely he runs roughshod over his advisors who are like this this can't work. You know? There's it's like it's like it exaggerates whatever it touches. Like it exaggerated the plant life on Draenor. Oh, and the the goblins too, the same thing. Yeah. Goblins with their Kajamite, when we've we've already seen that Kajamite might well be related to Azerite. We know that that uh oh bloody heck, I can't remember his name. Captain Jollyface. Uh Gazlo, not Gazlo. Oh, bloody heck. The one who's in charge of the, the, the goblins and the horde. Oh, uh, Gallywix. Yeah. He had a piece of Azerite on the top of his staff that just looked like any old piece of like red crystal until then the new Azerite started coming out and then it turned gold. So does that mean that Azerite's related to Kajamite in some way? Does that mean that Kajamite's like, you know, scabbed over Azerite? Like what's the deal with the whole idea giving thing? There's a lot to this. And if the old gods are are symbiotes, if they're parasites, the thing one of the things they're trying to do is use that energy for themselves. They're trying to get it for themselves, for their purpose of transforming the world into a void titan. The curse Maybe of flesh just is. Need some fruit from the Arkandor. <laughs> yeah, everybody needs to eat a nice Arkandor everybody salad. Everybody just needs some fruit. <laughs> Sit down, have some fruit. This, there is a lot to this, and I I feel like ah. Like I, I really would like to see more about like where we're going with this. Some of these pieces need to get revealed. I, this is one of the reasons that I, I don't feel like people have been arguing that 8.2 is going to be like the, the last major story patch of this no, expansion. There's no way. I don't see how that is possible because we're not even halfway through this story in terms of what we know. Unless we're we ending the expansion so on one heck of a cliffhanger. Which I seriously doubt. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, Cressetia, thank you for that question. We just kind of ran amok all over that, but that's okay uh we are however out of time here so we're gonna go ahead and wrap up the show blizzard watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow blizzard watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience and we mentioned it in passing but let's go ahead and go back to that before the storm it's a very good book if you haven't experienced before the storm you can actually listen to it for free uh for you guys listeners of blizzard watch audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service 
Before the Storm is available on Audible as one of those downloads. It's read by the same voice actor that plays Andwin. We were talking about him, too. Very good book written by Christy Golden. There's also a wide selection of other World of Warcraft books on there if you just, you know, want to check out the lore. Or if you're just done with the lore, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of other titles that you can check out as well. Uh, you can download those by going to blizzardwatch.com slash audible and signing up for that free 30-day trial. And every sign-up helps support the show and everything that we do. Final thoughts, you guys. I have... it. I want a brief statement here, even though we could probably go on for like another hour and a half just on this. Taronda, we mentioned her in passing. We mentioned that she's assumed the uh, essence of the night warrior, all of that other stuff. There's some controversy going on where people are kind of a little bit upset that Taronda and the night elves aren't actively engaging in what's going on with Ezshara and Nazjatar, especially considering that this was where everything went down and as Shara was like at odds with Tyrande way back during the War of the Ancients, they feel like she should be there. Um, quick statement, how do you guys feel about Blizzard's decision to kind of take Tyrande out of that? Joe? I think it's been terrible and I think that it was a missed opportunity. Uh, I don't understand why they wouldn't want that there and I will... <sighs> It's something that I feel like we've been building towards, building towards, building towards, and it feels like we're not going to get a payoff that I, I I don't know about everybody else, but I thought we should have by now. Okay, Rossi, same question. It is this decision that makes me not want Ashara to get any kind of final fight here. I want Ashara to escape and continue on her path because I do want Taranda and Ashara. There's a bit, I think it's in Wolfheart, where Ashara's like an image of Ashara appears to Taranda as literally everything Taranda is afraid of becoming. And I would have absolutely killed for a scene where they meet this time. And Ashara's like, Oh, you've, you've, you've woken up a little bit. That's nice. I was despairing of you ever growing up child. Now you're a little bit more like me. And that's always good. Being, being more perfect is always good. <laughs> like just imagine like Taranda's horror at realizing that you know what she she has actually taken a step along being more like Ashara. So here's my thoughts on this. I don't feel like we should be upset about this. I feel like what sh we should be looking at is what has Taranda done? How is that affecting her? And why wouldn't she go to confront Ashara? What is happening to her right now? that is preventing her from viewing Ashara as the kind of threat that she needs to go immediately deal with. And I don't know about you guys, but frankly, I'm a little bit worried and I'm a little bit terrified because we know almost nothing about the Night Warrior, the essence of the Night Warrior, other than it killed people when they tried to get it. Taronda got it. She has it. So what's happening to her now and why is that more important than what was arguably one of the most important conflicts of her life to date? And on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. So uh, thanks as always for listening, guys, and we will see you again in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>